In all of the negativity surrounding Afghanistan right now, the loss of American life and servicemen, the questions and frustration, The Heights has partnered with Fort Lee to serve the needs of some of these Afghan people we've seen fleeing on the news. Over the past two weeks, we as a church have collected basic hygiene items, clothing, kids' toys, and more to show kindness to these strangers and sojourners in our land. We're working alongside and at the request of our military chaplains at Fort Lee to serve this great human need. We pray this kindness will be seeds that are planted in their lives. For updates on this and other Love 804 projects, visit our webpage at thb.church love804 or our Love 804 Facebook page. Amen. Doesn't it excite your church? Excite you to always see your church out there meeting need, serving people. You know, I know the nation Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan, that incites a lot of uh, emotions, thoughts, feelings, concerns. Uh, the whole way this has unfolded that we have these refugees here in our area, just a lot, a lot of different thought on that, and maybe even wondering, hey, what are we, what are we doing in the midst of that? You know, you know, the first thing we're doing is we're partnering with Fort Lee, uh, a, a great organization, right? We believe Fort Lee is a great organization. We're partnering with them to serve a need that they've been tasked with. Uh, my understanding is that the refugees at Fort Lee all were in process of getting visas, and they were getting those visas because they had helped and served our military over the last several years. So that's... that's is there a bad one among them? I would say there's got to be some chance, right? But I'm not, I'm not going to ignore the human needs of, of hundreds and thousands because there's a bad one or several bad ones among them. So uh, we've got a lot of people here at our church that work at Fort Lee or a part of Fort Lee, and they get to see their church coming and serving in an area that, that everybody at Fort Lee is talking about right now and, and trying to work through. So proud of us for being able to get out there and get ahead and, and be on top of serving a, a tremendous need uh, that is there right now. There's a lot to pray for when it comes to Afghanistan, and we certainly are going to pray for that here in just a moment. We're also going to pray for Buddy just to give you another little update on where he is. He's stable. That's the, the long and short of it, and stable is mostly the good word. That's what we're looking for right now. Um, it has been a difficult week. If you've been around this, you've been around somebody that is going through this, the back and forth is the norm. You're, you're doing well a day or two, and then, and then you drop back and you're not doing well. And that, he's had some of that this week. Uh, the last two days have been really good, uh, maybe his best two days. And so that's exciting. Gary, the last thing Gary was told was that uh, he seems to be trending right now. There seems to be a good pattern there. So we want to continue to keep praying for him. He has been sedated since I was up here last Sunday giving you an update. So it's, it's going to be a slow journey. Uh, it's probably not going to have... I'm asking God to give us some dramatic news, but it, it, that the nature of this, it doesn't seem like we're looking for some big day where he's up eating breakfast. It's, it's going to be kind of a slow process. So we want to continue to keep him in our prayer. So let's go before the Lord right now. Oh, Father, we come before you this morning grateful for your goodness, your love, 
Lord, we want to look to heaven right now and acknowledge, boy, without your love, what are we? What do we have? What hope? What, what anything is there without your love? And boy, Lord, sometimes through our eyes and ears, we can't always recognize that love. Oh, Lord, I would pray for anybody in that spot right now. Would you open our eyes and ears of faith to see and to know and experience your love for a buddy, for Afghanistan, for a whole host of other issues going on in our life. Lord, we, we come before you on, on behalf of this whole Afghanistan situation. And, and Lord, first I pray for our president, our Congress, our courts. Lord, I pray they're doing what is right and good. I pray you're, you're getting to them right and good information. And they have the wisdom and the desire to respond to that information rightly. And they will make good decisions. Um, Lord, uh, we've got a lot of thoughts about w- what they've done so far, at least as it relates to Afghanistan. And I just pray for a way of peace. I, I pray for a way of safety. Uh, Lord, I think of the church, the Christians that are in Afghanistan. This all but seems to be a certain death sentence for them. And uh, Lord, I know the gospel flourishes in persecution. But Lord, we do pray for their care and their protection. We pray for their well-being. And uh, Lord, I pray you will use them to shine your grace and your goodness and your glory in that land. Lord, I've talked to a number of uh, military this week that are looking back over the last 20 years, things they've seen, things they've been through and experienced, and uh, with the way we left and and the way that that just kind of handed back over to the Taliban, it just really leaves them questioning why, why was I there? What was the purpose of all this? And uh, Lord, I pray you give them uh, the ability to look to heaven and to process life, its difficulties, its frustrations, to be able to process that through you. Lord, give them peace uh, about that. Lord, I, as we pray for those that are struggling, I can't hardly think of any more than those, fam- those marine families uh, that lost their loved ones a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, Lord, I can't imagine what they're thinking and feeling this morning. Lord, all I can pray is that you're, you're, you're ministering to them, you're caring them, you're, you're giving them the ability to look to heaven in this great loss and to find you and to find you good and faithful when, when maybe at a moment it, it would seem natural to even question you. Lord, I pray you would steer away for us through in this in this situation. Lord, we continue to lift up to you, buddy, and pray for your healing upon him. I, I continue to pray. You just give the doctors and nurses wisdom and guidance and how they uh, and how they treat him. I pray they do the right things at the right time. I pray his body, his health would be responsive. And Lord, we just we do pray for a dramatic moment of turning this around and uh, seeing him get back up in, in life and health and strength, Lord. I pray that even at this very moment, sedated and everything, Lord, I pray he knows your love and presence. I pray he knows we love him. And Lord, I pray for for Carrie and the family that you'll just continue to guide them through this anxious time and, and be for them what they need right now. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you with so much from praying about a political national situation to praying for a person's individual health and a thousand issues in between. You can hear it all. 
And you promise to respond to it all. And it won't just be an answer. It'll be a right and perfect answer. And we praise you and we worship you for that, Father. Give us eyes of faith when we can't see the goodness and the rightness of your acting and moving and working. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Rome. Rome, there's a rough segue out of prayer into the new series I'm starting today. But Rome, folks, gives us one of the the great empires of the world, maybe even some similarities to America. But but Rome is, is one of the strong, great empires of human history. And, you know, not just in what they conquered or, or what they held. Man, Rome set a standard for so many things, architecture, arts, philosophy, government, citizenship, Roman citizenship, that whole developing of that idea. Uh, so many things Rome gave the world. Roads. Rome gave the world roads. Where did those come from? You can look to Rome for that. So many things from this great empire. It's right. It's good to appreciate, look, and study. But, you know, there's other things about Rome. R- Rome was a violent nation. It was a, a, a violent city. And I'm not just referring to a crime problem. It was a mentality. It was an attitude of the culture. It, it was a violent place to live. Add to that, it was one of the most sexually immoral empires and cultures in history at, at every single level. And when you added up that violence, when you added up that immorality, it made for a short lifespan. You, you, it was a dangerous place to live and people died and they, they died young in Rome. Now, what I just said would be true for anybody and everybody. But now when you add to what the Christian was going through, and that was a whole other level of danger. You, you literally just wanted to survive from morning to night and then hope you could wake up again the next morning. You, you're kind of in fear for your life. You might wonder, you know, man, I've come to Christ. Is it just to survive? Have I, have I, crumb, have I come to Christ to live a life little more than surviving in this world? And the answer is, yes, you, there is more than just surviving. God did not create you. God did not save you to survive, but to thrive. And listen to this, to represent him. How many things are we doing? How many things are we running after trying to find meaning and purpose in life? What is more meaningful? What is more purposeful than to represent Christ in a nation, than to represent Christ in a moment, than to represent Christ in a a particular situation? That's true for the, the Christian in Rome. It's true for the Christian in Afghanistan today. It's true for you and me here in America. We don't just survive. We represent Christ. And you know, I I think, I think the Romans, the Roman Christians actually bought into that idea. I think they actually bought into representing Christ. Do you know that by 313 A.D., only 250 years after they're being fed to lions, only 250 years of living as this small, insignificant, persecuted minority in the shadow of mighty Rome in 313 A.D., the Roman Empire's official religion became Christianity. Man, how does that... What? Can you, ima- can you imagine telling Peter and Paul who were beheaded by Rome, hey, one day the whole empire is going to call themselves Christians. 
They, they, how, how in the world is that? You know what? They must have just discredited all the philosophers and intellectuals. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe they defeated the Roman army. Maybe they destroyed the, the Roman politicians. Folks, the gospel and Christianity never advances by who and what it defeats. It advances by who it brings victory to. And, and, the, and the Romans believed in that. I think maybe Paul planted the seed for what the Roman church could do when he said to them in that, in that letter, in that first chapter in Romans 1.16, imagine saying this to people who were running for their lives. Every Christian would have had somebody they loved fed to a lion. And he says to them, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not running away from the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Listen to this. To all. To everybody out there who will believe. Folks, the gospel is our power. The gospel is our answer in this world. And it is our job. And it is our identity. And it is our hope. It, it is our everything. We are a people of the gospel. And the more we are about the gospel, the stronger we're going to be. And likewise, the more we move away from the gospel, the weaker we're going to be. The weaker we're going to be at influencing an empire, the weaker we're going to be at coping and living in our own individual life. Today, we're, we're, we're starting a, a new series called The Gospel, Our Life, Our Answer. Now, I had the gospel, our life. I, I wasn't sure on the title what the next R should be. Like I could have said, it's our power, man. We're going to be strong in America. I, I want to talk about power. But that's not actually what was on my mind. What was on my mind and the, and the reason I put our answer is because, folks, I'm just trying to figure out where I live and what is going on. I, I'm trying to understand this and how we respond to it and what our answer. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out a world where a deadly virus is more political than it is medical. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a world where I'm one gender, but I can stand up and say I'm another gender. And that makes sense. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't make sense to you, you've just identified yourself as the problem. I'm trying to understand not a world, but a church. Christians that, that, are, that are absorbing critical race theory. A theory that openly contradicts the gospel. A theory that openly confronts and attacks the church. Not white churches, all churches. All churches anywhere on this planet. Now folks, this series isn't about how we're going to undo all of these ideas. This, this series isn't about those ideas. It will run. These next couple of weeks, we'll have that kind of as a backdrop. Uh, they're, they're going to be in the background, and there'll be some references to that. But, but folks, it's not going to be about those things. It's going to be about the, the gospel. I'm trying to figure out how do we respond? What, how do I respond as an individual? How do we respond as a church? Some of us are ready for a fight. Anybody ready for a fight? Hey, I'm all about a fight. I just want to make sure when I get poked in the nose that it's in the right field. Right? I mean, what, where, what, what kind of fight do we need to take? Is this an intellectual fight? 
Is it going to be won by working through the thoughts of this and, and right thoughts? Is it a political fight? Boy, we got to get the right votes. We got to get the right people. Is it a revolutionary fight? Man, we got to be ready to go to the streets. Hey, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be a little bit of all that. Maybe it's going to be all of those things. But folks, <laughs> I'm grateful that God calls some to be intellectuals. He calls some people to be intellectuals. He calls some people to be politicians. He calls some people to be revolutionaries. But by the very nature of those things, it's a few. It's a few. And I'm, I'm, I, hey, listen, we need them. They help us to understand. They help us to bring about change. I tell you some, I guess I would put all these in the class of the intellectuals. As I'm trying to understand, I, I mean, I tend to turn to reading. That, that, that's where I go. And so I read a couple of books I have found helpful or several books you may be interested in. Fault Lines about the social justice movement by Vody Bachman. Vody's a, a black evangelist, theologian. Some of you may remember him. Vody's been in our church I don't remember how long ago it was. It, it may be as much as 10 years ago now, but uh, very insightful book. As a matter of fact, of those three, if I was just going to read one, I'd read that one. It's the shortest. It has the most clear information. Uh, I, I think that'll make sense to you. He's just, he's just laid it out very, very well. So I, I would encourage that. The Rise of the Modern Self by Carl Truman may be one of the best books I've ever read. It, it's, it's just profound. It is brilliant. His understanding of why the American mind thinks the way it thinks, how, how it has come to this place. For most of us, we think it, it got there real fast. And, and he shows, no, no, it did not get there real fast. Not only has this been building for decades, it's been building for two centuries. And it is just a, a brilliant presentation. I would say of, of Carl's book, my good buddy Carl, that's not the easiest read in the world. You won't, you won't read that and watch a football game. Uh, it, it, it's going to take all of your attention, and it's probably going to take all of a long time. So, But I would recommend it. Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher. Similar somewhat to, to Fault Lines, but pro- probably coming from a little bit different angle. I'm actually still reading that one. But I, I would recommend all of these. And, you know, as I've learned, here's what I'm learning. The more I learn, the more scared I get. The more I learn, the more discouraged I get. And that's not a statement about them and their books and, and the podcast I've listened to and the articles that I've read. It's just that, folks, we're in, a, we're in a new place in America, and it is solidified. It's not a passing fancy that's just blowing through. It, it has got deep, deep roots in everything we are as a people. And it make, makes me nervous, makes me a little bit scared, and I'm, I'm very confident that, that God doesn't call me, doesn't call you to operate from fear and discouragement. But God, what, what do I do? How, how do we do this? And I go back. We, you know what most of us tend to do? To great fault. We sit back and we do absolutely nothing except expect some group of book writers and intellectuals and some group of politicians and some group of revolutionaries to come and fix things and change things for us so that I can have the America I want. What if God doesn't want you to have the America that you want? Because we've used the America we want to do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God and the gospel. You know, by the very nature of folks, there's going to be a few people God's going to call to be intellectuals, revolutionaries, and politicians. But what he's called every single one of us to be is to live and believe and to share the gospel. 
It is the gospel that is God's power. Hey, I appreciate those folks. They do some heavy lifting for us. They can sometimes get us organized and directed, and they can sometimes bring about change. But let me hear me, hear me so clearly. The intellectual and the politician and the revolutionary is not the power of God for salvation. That is you, and that is me, and God says, beautiful are the feet. Beautiful are the feet of the smartest one in here. No, the one who carries the gospel. Folks, don't look at the gospel as, okay, there's the, the intellectual and the revolutionary, the apologist, they're out there on the front lines doing the severe and significant work, and you and I will keep ourselves back here running around saying, Jesus loves you and you can be saved. Folks, do you understand if the whole church is not doing what God called the whole church to do, it will never make any difference what the intellectual and what the politician and what the revolutionary accomplish. It won't make a bit of difference what they accomplish if you and I are not doing what God's called us to do. And I'm not saying just run around, say Jesus loves you and you can be saved. Hey, I need to understand what's going on in our world. How are, why are people thinking this way? Why are these lies prospering? We, we need to understand, but we don't need to understand just to defeat something or to defeat someone. And if we're not careful, that is our nature. All I want to do is beat you. All I want to do is for you to be wrong and my way to be right. But folks, don't look at just the rightness or the wrongness of ideas. I didn't say don't look at the rightness or wrongness. No, we absolutely need to understand the rightness or the wrongness of ideas. I said don't just Look at that. Look at why people are running to these ideas. Oh, because they're all mean and wicked. Probably not. And I'm not absolving everybody as being innocent and good. We're not innocent and we're not good. You know what? With any idea, with any philosophy, with any way of the world, most of that gets started by a handful of people that absolutely are evil. They have evil intentions, they have an evil agenda, and and they are populating a lie. But the masses that really make that thing take off usually have run to that lie because of a brokenness in their life, because of a need in their life. If we don't understand why people are going to these things, then we're never going to see the opportunity that the gospel brings. It is the gospel that is the power of God for answering real brokenness and real needs. I don't expect the government to know that. I don't expect the culture to promote that. But shouldn't you and I know it and promote it? Shouldn't you and I be living that and understanding that? So we're going to take about five weeks here, today being one of them, four more, to, to try. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to look at the gospel, and I'm going to shape it around three words. Believe, live, and share. About a week and a half on believe, a week and a half on live, and two weeks on share. Now, here's the problem with describing this series is you think you already know what I'm going to talk about when I say believe and live and share, and you don't. I'm not saying you won't see some element of what you think believe, live, and share is about. What I'm saying is most of us have a grossly undervalued understanding of the gospel. And what it is supposed to mean in our lives and what it is supposed to be doing in our lives. You know what the gospel is for most of us? 9.4 out of 10 of us. The gospel is something in the past. 
Oh, I love the gospel. Man, I sure thank God for the gospel. Back there, May 12th, 1982, for me, the gospel saved me. That's when I received the gospel. And we leave it back there. Thankful to God for it. Praising God for it. But we leave it back there in our past. My friend, I can assure you the gospel belongs very presently in your life today. It was not just for a moment I desperately needed back there. It is for every moment I'm living right here. It is our answer. It is our power. So we're going to try to expand our understanding of what the gospel does. You know, we have theories out there running around about how to handle the oppressor and the oppressed. Most of us don't, I don't don't know about that. Hey, did you know there's a story in the Bible? You probably didn't because it's probably one of the most unread books of the Bible. Did you know there's a story in the Bible of the gospel coming to an oppressor and an oppressed at the exact same time and what that means to their relationship? The gospel gives application to how the oppressor and the oppressed actually live together. Did you know that? Well, you're going to. You're going to in a couple of weeks. We'll get there. So today what I need to do is, okay, now we're in believing today in about half of next week. Next week's kind of a hybrid between believing and living. But uh, when we get started on this idea of believing, and we need to talk about what we believe. We, we need to lay the foundation of, I mean, if we're talking about the gospel, we need to know what the gospel is, right? You know, the gospel is just a message. The gospel is a message that should shape every moment of who and what you are. The gospel shapes how you live life. The gospel shapes how you look at life. You see what I'm saying, folks? I would say, please don't take this wrong, because I'd start with me right here. Almost none of us process life by looking at it through the gospel. Almost none of us are doing with this thing that God said is our answer. It is our hope. It is our power. Oh, that's wonderful, you know, if I want to get saved and be a church person. But what about dealing with this? And what about dealing with this? And what about dealing with this? No, the gospel is a message that shapes my life, how I live it, and how I look at it. Okay, so we'll start today with what is the definition of that message. Probably one passage a lot of people would turn to if they're looking for kind of like a a one-sentence definition of the gospel would be 1 Corinthians 15. If you'll turn there now, 1 Corinthians, you'll find it right after Acts and Romans, right before 2 Corinthians and Galatians. It's about 90% of the way through your Bible. Uh, On the screen, you see verses 3 and 4. I'm actually going to read verses 1 through 6, but 3 and 4 are those sentences or that sentence that's kind of giving the definition of the gospel. But let me read starting in verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you... Now, listen to this. Listen to this. The gospel which you received, that's back there, right? That's past. That was back there in May of 1982. I received the gospel back there. That's a past tense in which you stand. That's present. That's current. I didn't just receive it back there. I stand in the gospel. I stand on the gospel in that problem I'm working through, in that, in that answer I'm trying to give, in the way I live life. I stand on the gospel and by which you are being saved. That's not only present, that's future. That's ongoing. 
Folks, the gospel is not for a moment back there. It's for every day of our lives. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in, in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. I love this phrase. Most of whom are still alive. If I'm lying... If I'm exaggerating, if I've messed up the facts, there are plenty of eyewitnesses out there to contradict me or to correct me because the gospel did not come up in the mind of some intellectual at a university over coffee. No, the gospel comes up out of historical events, real events for you. And the killing of Jesus did not happen by governments, by conspiracies, or by evil. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, be clear. Governments, conspirators, and evil was absolutely involved in killing Jesus. But it did not happen by them. It did not happen according to them. That happened according to the Father. Now that, wait, what? What? Why, why would the father, why, why would the, the dying and the being buried, okay, I get the resurrection part, but why would these first two things, why would that be by the hand of God? Because he loves you. And unlike our almost worthless way of defining and living love in America where you just smile and go along, God Not any American. God is the original person that said there's no such thing as love without justice. Love does not ignore wrongs. Love does not pretend there's not a wrong here that needs to be answered, that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be paid for. Love and justice go hand in hand for God. And God's love for you demanded his justice because You don't deserve, I don't deserve God's love. I'm not at all like him. I'm not at all like his heaven. I live in opposition to God. You know, to tell people that they've sinned and done wrong, most of us go, yeah, yeah, I know. To say, do you know you fight and rebel against God almost every day? No, I've never done that. Every single lie, you're fighting a God who wants a world of truth. And I can go on and on. We absolutely live in opposition to God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages, the consequence, the payment for that sin, for that life of opposition is death. I think you can look kind of through history and you'll see that, that different generations, different cultures will have different responses to that statement, all have sinned. I mean, ultimately, it's each individual's response, but we're all kind of shaped by our culture. I think our generation, our culture, responds to that statement by saying, well, sure, I mean, I've done wrong, we've all done wrong, everybody's done wrong, nobody's perfect, but, and here's where they turn around and basically say they're perfect. Here's where we turn around and basically say, I don't have any sin, Because anything I've ever done wrong is not my fault. 
It's not my fault, and I cannot be held accountable for it. It is the fault, and and here's the laundry list. It's the fault of the government. It's the fault of the system. It's the fault of my boss. It's the fault of my parents. It's the fault of my church. It's the fault of my uncle. It's the fault of that next-door neighbor. And by the way, that's not untrue. It's not untrue that, that, that all or portions of all this have wronged you because guess what? In this world, you get wronged. There's no family. There's no government. There's no nation. There's no school. There's no team. There's no place where you won't be wronged on this earth. They wronged Jesus. And what Jesus shows you and me, what Jesus calls you and me to do is how we respond to that wrong. And we don't normally like that way. Sadly, even as believers, even as those who say we're following Christ, it's more natural and easy for me to respond to wrong the way the world shows me. And the reason that's so easy and natural is because the world in me starts right here. It's what I already want. And when I am responding the way of the world to that individual hurt or some bigger thing, I'm living in opposition to God. And there's a right and a natural consequence for, God, for fighting God, and it is death. Death there, don't think of your funeral. De- death there is spiritual death. The part of me that was created to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to experience God, that part of me is dead. It, it has no life. And unless I am born again... Unless I not only have a physical birth, but a spiritual birth, then my real problem comes when my spiritual death intersects with my physical death. Because now my spiritual death is eternal and permanent. And I'm in hell, eternally separated from God. Well, I don't think I've done anything that bad. You've lived a life in total opposition to the God who loved you and created you. Matter of fact, have you ever thought about it like this, folks? You fight God with his body. What do you mean his body? Well, this isn't yours. You didn't make it. You can't sustain it. 1 Corinthians 6.20, God owns this body. It's his entirely. You use this body that's not even yours to fight and oppose God. You use this world and all of its resources to fight and oppose God. It's not your world. It's his and everything in it. You use this day. Did you, have you ever called a day to be? Have you ever made a day happen? Because God has. This day is his. It belongs to him. You and I run around here using his body, his world, and this day to oppose him. And then say, God shouldn't be bothered. What's wrong with him? The most right and just thing God can do is not let us into his heaven. To do to it what we've done to this earth. But God. A lot of us love those two words, don't we? There's what I am, there's what I've done, there's what God should do, but God loved and God moved to solve a problem we can't solve, to pay a price that we can't pay. And there's a hundred wonderful verses I could use for this. Let me show you one favorite one, first Peter three eighteen. For Christ also once suffered for sins. That's your sins. That's the wrongs you did all this week. The ones you know about, the ones you're so callous, you don't even recognize the sin that's in you. Christ died for all of those. The righteous, 
the one who's always right with who he is as God, for the unrighteous. And I love this phrase, that he might bring us to God. It's Jesus that carries me to God. Not, not, my, not my record, not my religiosity, not my entitlement, not, not my effort. It is Jesus that carries me to God. And who does Jesus carry to God? Those who put all of their faith in him. Their faith isn't in their justice. Their faith isn't in their identity. Their faith isn't in the world they're going to make or the person they're going to make. Their faith isn't in their effort and their goodness. Their, their faith isn't in what's owed to them. They have put all of their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all I've got. Everything I am, have, hope is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you're saying Jesus is God. And no, God doesn't get a buzz out of you saying Jesus is God. Out of those three words comes an entire life moving forward where my every word, my every thought, my every action will communicate to everybody around me, Jesus is God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. Everything in you is putting it on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will be saved. Say, saved from what? Now, here's where a lot of us get it right and get it wrong at the same time. Man, you are saved eternally from sin and death and hell. Amen? But you are being saved every single day from running after the wrong thing. I no longer have to chase lies. I no longer have to chase people. I no longer have to chase money. I no longer have to chase fame. I no longer have to chase sex. I no longer have to chase justice. I no longer have to chase approval. I don't have to chase any of those things trying to find meaning and worth in my life. I don't have to chase any of those things to cover the emptiness and the hurt that living in this world causes. I don't have to run anymore. I've been rescued and saved from that because I know the answer is Jesus. What an incredible disservice I've done and you've done to family and friends and coworkers when I've got this answer And I run after the same garbage they do. I keep fighting the fights of the world with the tools of the world and the ways of the world. I've got the answer. I've got the hope. I've got security. I've got an identity. I've got approval. I've got all of that. And I go out into a world and hide it. I've been to be rescued from that presently, currently, every day, rescued from that. This is the gospel. It it, it saves us. Will you today turn from sin and self and come back to your creator and savior who has the power and the authority and the knowledge? When you say those three words, power, authority, and knowledge, wouldn't it sound natural to put right there to judge you? I mean, you can take out the word love and put judge, can't you? That would fit perfectly. God has the power, the authority, and the knowledge to rightly judge you. He wants to use his power, authority, and knowledge to save you. 
and to rescue you. And justice and love will be accomplished at the exact same time through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you come this day to Christ? You know, Jesus gives this message and he always invites people. There's always an invitation. Sometimes he's speaking to masses. And so often you'll see the masses turn and walk away. Go back to sin, go back to self. Sometimes he's talking just to an individual face to face. And and a number of gospel stories show us that individual turn and, and walk away. Do you know what Jesus never does when the crowd, when the individual walks away? He never chases them. Not one time. Not one time. I mean, what did I make? What was confusing? What did you understand? Let me try again. Please, please, please. You know what, folks? Jesus isn't desperate for you. He's not needy of you, but he does love you. And he's won for you everything you need in this life and in life eternal. The reason he doesn't run is because he knows. He knows if the decision is not yours to turn from sin and self, you will never fully appreciate or enjoy the love he has for you that he's trying to give to you. He's not going to drag you into his kingdom. He's not going to drag you into his love and forgiveness. He's not going to drag you into the riches of heaven because you want sin and you want self. And until you're done with that, and some of us finally get done with it, don't we? Praise the Lord. Thank you that I got to the end of that quick. And if you're ready to come to the end of sin and self today, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. And receive Christ into your life today. If you're watching online in just a moment at the end. You'll see me come back and kind of tell you what to do next. I'll actually be wearing something different. But hang on there and it'll, it'll tell you kind of where to go from here. If you're here in person with us. You know man go out this door right here. There's a desk right in the middle back toward the back. Just go out there and say hey I, I need Christ. I want to receive Christ into my life. Maybe you're here saying you know I'm not 100% sure I'm, I believe this. I'm not 100% sure I want to receive Christ, but I've got some questions. I mean, we'd love to answer some questions for you. Love to help you in this journey of you coming to the end of sin and self and to receiving Christ and what he has for you. I sure encourage you to take that step of faith and go out there. So the moment of God's love down to an invitation, folks, that's the gospel. That's the message that is to shape our lives. It's to shape how we look at everybody. That message shapes how we look. I'll show you a verse in the Bible here in a week or so that is going to shape. This is all we look at people through is through the lens of the gospel. This is our life. This is our power. This is our message. This, this is our hope. We, we need to be a people of the gospel. And do you know, folks, we need to realize... The gospel is not something we do as Christians. It is the thing we do as Christians. Do you understand that everything in your life, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, what you want, what you don't want, every moment of your day and all going on in it is little more than the context and the backdrop for you living the gospel. That's our power in this world. If you try anything else, you will find something that is not God's power for you.
Let's pray. Father, I, I, I want to commit to you this message. I want to commit to you the next four Sundays that you would profoundly move in my life, in all of our lives, Lord, to grasp that the gospel is so much more than something that did something for me back there. Oh, that we could see how many questions we're dealing with the gospel answers. Oh, Lord, would you open our minds, our hearts, and expand all that the gospel is, Father. And would you raise up in the Heights Baptist an army of people who believe it's all about the gospel, nothing else. Lord, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do in my life and in, and in our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.